Hi, I'm Carrie Hines. Welcome to our Hair Radio podcast series that features special interviews and segments from the Hair Radio Morning Show, Salon TV Network, along with original exclusive content right here and across 10 other top podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Contact us about advertising your products or services or being interviewed at 347-587-3213 or visit us on the internet at hairradio.com. Now sit back and enjoy your Hair Radio podcast presentation. Again, I'm Carrie Hines. Thank you. Mr. Marvin Park. Marvin, good morning. Good morning. Should I say good afternoon to you out there in Paris, France? Good afternoon because it's, uh, I think it's 2 o'clock here now. So if it's 8, it's where you are, right? Yeah, so it's 2 o'clock here in the afternoon. I just finished my lunch. (laughs) Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, we're going to have all of you guys to bear with us. We've got Marvin for the hour. We're going to talk about his career because it's the way that I look at this, Marvin Parks, is that this is, you are almost legendary in my eyesight, and and, and you have legendary. fans. No, no, no I, no. I don't like the word fans. I've never liked the word fans. Beyonce has fans. I like to say friends. I like to say supporters, but fans. Awesome. You know, that's John Legend has fans. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just Marvin Parks. Well, listen, we love the humility here. We love it. We love it. We love it. Okay, you're a monster. You're absolutely right. I I like the number 518. I think I'm going to try that in the pick six or pick pick three. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We still have the pick six and all those wonderful things here in the States. Well, listen, I've got to catch it. Yes, absolutely. Well, I've got to catch everybody up. We're going to talk a lot uh, during this hour. And I have to say, it's your first time. So this is your first time being with us on the All New Hair Radio Morning Show. So our broadcast number, 518. There have been 517 three-hour shows in the last six years. This is our sixth year that we just celebrated this week. And our seventh season. So we're, yeah, so this, thank you. So we're really, really excited. Uh, it's the most uh, celebrated hair broadcast on radio in the world. It's the very first. We ushered in the whole idea of podcasting. There was none of that back 25 years ago. Wow. So I'm super, super excited. Well, today. You're sort of like today, the little Richard of podcasting? I think, yeah, yeah, I can say that. I, I'm going to say Chuck Berry, yeah. <laughs> We're the, and, and speaking of which, folks like Little Richard and Chuck Berry and them, um, it's really odd because I remember just we were broadcasting. We've been on the air for the last six years of this morning version. So I've covered uh, a lot of the folks that we talk about. Either they've been on, and I met Little Richard, by the way. I met Little Richard out oh, in wow. L.A. Yeah, put my hand up to God. I met him out in L.A. on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. He was in the back of a limo, and this was in the 90s. In the 90s, he was driving uh, down the street. This was before I, I think this is before even I moved to L.A. He was riding down, uh, he would often ride up and down Hollywood Boulevard in his limousine <laughs> with his Bible. And so he caught me. I caught his eye, I, and I looked, 
you know, I, I'm looking at the limo to see who it is, and his window was down. Uh-huh. So I had an opportunity to see him make contact. He waved me over. So I went to his limo car at the back, you know, where he was seated, and he was talking to yeah. me just briefly, really quickly. I forgot what he said, mm-hmm. but uh, it was really nice, and he was very pleasant. How and I just carried on walking down the street. <laughs> I know. Well, go, this is this was. Did he do any of that? The exact, no, he didn't he do quite that. <laughs> but I'll He's tell you, up, you know, and being an entertainer like you are, these types of things meant so much to me to to uh, connect with folks like yourself. And in the case of Little Richard, when uh, Chuck Berry died, you know, not all that long ago, uh, Richard, uh-huh. Little Richard, was going to be at his funeral. So I was talking about that. On the show, and the next thing, Little Richard was gone. So I said, oh, how sad. Now, oh, Chuck wow. Berry is tied to us as well because Chuck Berry went, uh, before he became a musician, he went to mm-hmm. uh, hair uh, and beauty school at the Annie Malone, the legendary Annie Malone uh, school that I she had created Chuck called Berry. Coral College. Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry was going to be a hairstylist. Exactly. He wow. studied cosmetology at uh, Annie Malone, who is equivalent, most folks know about Madam C.J. Walker, you know, the first uh-huh. American black, you know, self-made female millionaire, if you will. Well, Annie right. Malone was truly that. That was, she was technically, because even Annie Malone taught Madam Walker, too. So uh, all these oh, types wow. of things. So this, yeah, you're in good hands, Marvin Parks. Now, oh, uh, folks, <laughs> you're, oh, you got it. You got it. Now, Marvin Parks is a multifaceted artist living in Paris, France since 2013. Now, you're a native of Baltimore, Maryland, and you are also a – Baltimore, Maryland. Now, you're a jazz singer, composer. (laughs) Maryland, right, Berlin. Uh, and recording <laughs> artist, and as well as you can hear, a stand-up comedian, <laughs> a voiceover artist, and 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 also when we say street performer, I want you to talk a little bit about that too. So we're gonna make sure folks know, and so uh, what that yeah. all entails. And I love this that you are also since you're one of three hundred plus artists who participate in the community uh, music project RATP, Musicien du Metro. Mm, that's the street musician artist. Musician du Metro. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, musician du yeah. Metro. I had to practice. Hey, there you go. Wow. <laughs> Play bien. Play bien, monsieur. Je parle français. Tu parles français. Oui, oui. Amazing. Je, je parle. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, my, my level of French is come see, come saw. I can come see. I just. <laughs> For you guys out there, that means so so. <laughs> listen, well, listen. Uh, you know, I studied French for about 40 years. I've been to Paris five times uh, throughout mm. the times. And I just love it I, so very much. And I love, you know, I studied French in high there. school. I studied French in high school, yeah. my first two years of high school, and I was so good in French one, level one, that my well, that French my one is easier, right? But I did it. I was so good that they moved me to French three the next year. Wow! Oh wow! Yeah, they yeah. Now me. see, and the but only, French gets harder as it goes along. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but when you when you live here and when you're around people, it's like when you're a little kid and you pick up stuff. Yeah. You know, when you're yes, a little kid, so true. when you don't say something and they followed up with sort of like an action behind that, then you start to yeah. pick up, 
you know, the accent, the, the, the way that, that people, you know, you get the, uh, mm-hmm. it's a very suggestive, you know, you get the, the action, exactly. you, get, you know, the exactly. culture. So, um, so that's how I learned. But when I came here in 2013, the last time I took a French class was 1992. Ooh, okay. So it's been like, well, well you're doing years. pretty good in my book. <laughs> You well, yeah, well, I've been here, I'm in my eighth year here, so, you know. Wow. But I, it's still kind of wonky. I can I can write a grocery list, and um, yeah. if I'm text messaging, it's easy. I can definitely uh, write emails and, and, and write very brief things, um, but especially, like, sending text messages and, and SMS. But to, in conversation, mm-hmm. it's very um, – it's a challenge because not everyone speaks the same way. It's just like when you speak in English. You know, when you're That's speaking right. English and you're from the United States. Well, people from the South um, mm-hmm. speak differently from people, like, say, out in California. You're from California. Right, South, right. Dialects, we call them from. here. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the per- way people speak personally. Mm-hmm. So you might, you might have an affected way of speak. Right. So there's the straight way of speaking French, and then there is you know, the guy on the street who just rolls up on you and starts speaking French and you don't know even what he's saying. And it's not that you don't speak French. It's just that you, I don't understand you. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, I love it. Yeah. So you, well, you well I would tell you, Barbara, you are just a, a joy and a pleasure to communicate with, and you're going to just pick up a whole new following of friends, <laughs> new friends to join us uh, in this journey of yours. So I'm so happy and I think I interrupted you. We were talking about Jazz Demetro, and I want you to tell folks a little bit more about what that's all about. Well, first of all, and you, you touched on the uh, RTP uh, community project. So yes. um, the RTP, which is uh, the city transit of Paris, sort of like MTA if you're in New York or um, uh if you're in Philly, it's um, I think it's uh, SEPTA. Uh, if you're in Philly, right, or, or and Marta, Marta down in Atlanta. Right, 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 right. So, um, so the city's transit has a project um, where they put um, music in the quarters of the metro of the subway stations, and we participate on an audition basis. And yeah, you you go in for the audition. And you um, and you go and you play music and it can be uh, there are reggae bands. There's a guy who plays a six foot harp. Um, wow. There's uh, opera singers. There's um, a sixteen piece uh, classical string orchestra. Uh, you name it, it could be anybody. And then there's a solo singer like me, um, to which I just kind of sing, stand there and sing in the metro. But I do that concurrently with my activities as a jazz musician on the scene here and as a stand-up comedian. And what I wanted was my own show um, where I could kind of sing uh, the American songbook and also kind of, you know, sort of like a one-man show. And the show was called Marvin Park's American Jazz Singer. And I got the title because I was singing in the Metro and I literally pulled out a piece of manuscript paper that you write, you know, kind of music on. And I wrote on there in the worst possible French. Chanteur uh, <laughs> de jazz de USA. <laughs> oh my. And it looked like, 
and it, it, it was terrible. And so I held the sign up where I stood there singing a cappella with a hat. And um, wow. then I said, well, I have to make a better sign because people are really think that, you know, I'm trying to scrape up enough change to get a bus ticket back to Baltimore. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so I made a, a, a bigger, <laughs> I made a bigger sign that literally wrote Marvin Park's American Jazz Singer on it. And I noticed that there were a lot of one-man shows in the theaters featuring um, stand-up comedians. I was not calling myself a stand-up comedian. Um, I was not even thinking about comedy at the time, but I knew that I wanted my own show because my thing is is that um, I'm not – I don't really like doing concerts. You know, like, you know, I'm going to sing with a band for, you know, for like two sets and all that. I like to, um, I like to make people feel like they're in my living room. Mm. Like, kind of like a variety show. You don't want to be. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, like I'm like the Mr. Rogers of jazz. <laughs> I, <laughs> wow. You know, wow, yeah. I, I grew up um, watching all those shows and stuff. So um, I looked down at my sign one day, and I said, well, that's the name of the show, Martin Park's American Jazz Singer. That's it. And I was in the Metro literally campaigning like a, uh, like a politician, shaking hands, and you know, people stopped to listen, and they stopped to chat because I don't have a band. I either sing a cappella or I have um, MP3 tracks from my records. And so I'm there not necessarily to perform, but just to kind of greet people on their way. And the people from the Metro were showing up in these jazz spaces. And as as I became a stand-up comedian, they were coming to see me do stand-up, support my stand-up act. And I said, well, I want to create something, create a brand, sort of like the Naked Cowboy, or like Colin Huggins, who plays in uh, Washington Square Park because he, he documents his um, his performances and his and tells stories about the people he meets um, in uh, in Washington Square Park. And these are these are spots in New York City for folks who are outside of uh, our areas. Um, so yeah. yeah, so especially here in New York, I know that Naked Cowboy guy. I've seen him live myself. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, at Midtown and 42nd Street. Yeah. So amazing, oh, amazing stuff. Yes. You know, he has trademarks. He has an oyster restaurant. Um, he sued M&M's for putting a giant M&M in, in the Naked Cowboy. He I remember. I remember all of that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And he also yeah. has a bronze statue for his 20th anniversary in Times Square. So the city of New York gave him a bronze statue. So he's really branded himself. And um, so that was sort of like the idea that I had um, to kind of be there every day in the same spot. And even if people don't, because because when you're in the metro and and like I said, I don't attract a audience. So if so, it's one thing if I attract the audience, but I'm just kind of standing there and I'm kind of singing and waving. So people don't really always have time to stop, but they know the voice. They know the presence. Um, I usually have a, a very, very large sign, so they kind of, you know, glance at the sign and take my information and follow me on social media and send me emails and send requests for me to come and perform. And uh, so, yeah, so I created Jazz Metro as a media project where I would document 
my engagement with people in the metro, but also use it to kind of um, post content that's related to jazz and other points of culture. Um, Love it. Shout out to local businesses, other artists, to inform people about the RTP musicians, the metro. Um, Because when people see you singing in the subway, and especially when you're just bare like me, and I don't have a guitar, and I don't have a piano, and it's not a production, like a little mini production. This is kind of a guy standing there with a hat and sign. Well, they think, oh, well, poor guy. He doesn't have a chance in the music business, and somebody needs to discover him, and um, he needs help, and he needs a a job. Somebody said, oh, if you need help, you should uh, go to the embassy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So people don't. Yeah. So people don't really know, and um, so they don't realize media, that your this is your passion and and that this not is what you are it's doing. My passion. No. I'm hustling. It's not. The, it's not about passion. hustling. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're putting it on out there this morning, Marvin Parks. <laughs> okay. No, seriously. Because I've been at this since I was 15 years old. I started when I was. Um, in uh, in high school, and I did NAACP Act. So, so I started in Baltimore almost 30 years ago, singing in, in uh, wow. the NAACP Act. So uh, competition. So they don't know all that, you know, and um, and they're just judging. Hearing, they're kind of like judging you just because you're oh, a man boy. standing there, and a black man standing there. So they and they want black, the right. whole right. So they want the whole oh, you know this this beautiful voice from America and he's uh, come to Paris and now he's singing the Metro and he starts in the Metro and now he's a, a singing in clubs and now he's a star and all that. And they don't know that I'm doing this concurrently with, you know, just to kind of invite people to come and, and learn about my music and learn about culture because, you know, I'm a black jazz singer and comedian in Paris and they don't really know the really about jazz. You know, they have jazz fans here, but I grew up watching, um, like, I Love Lucy, um, Carol Burnett, uh, Sanford and Son, um, watching variety shows and comedies, and um, knowing that the songs come from Broadway musicals and from vaudeville and knowing this stuff. And here I am in Paris singing these songs that come from that culture and, and black people, in, uh, you know, who were in vaudeville and, and, and then, you know, they don't know about that. Wow. They, they absolutely don't know. And so um, it's my opportunity every day to go out. I'm singing in public. They're little kids that I get to, um, you know, to kind of interact with. There are people literally from all over the world who, well, when there were tourists here. And um, I take selfie videos. I take these one-minute music videos. Um, They stop and they sing with me. They dance. I got videos of girls, uh, French girls twerking to jazz music. Oh, my. Wow. (laughs) All right. All right. And so I post this stuff. On um, on my Instagram, it's for now. It's managed uh, primarily through my Instagram account, and I write these um, little short stories in the caption about the people that I meet in the subway. Because it's wow. like I said, it's not just a guy who's just standing there singing for a coin. 
it really is this engagement, and I want people to see the engagement just like, you know, Rob uh, is doing in Times Square, Nate Cowboy is doing in Times Square, just like Colin is doing in Washington Square Park. And um, it's beautiful. And like I said, uh, people are engaging who don't listen to jazz. There are kids who are telling me, oh, well, you're the only jazz singer that I know. How does what goes through your mind when you hear something like that, and what is it? I mean, how does it make you feel? It's it's. it's an, I, I first want to hear what you have to say about that, Marvin. How does it make you feel when you hear or see that young people are so disconnected, or when they hear the word jazz? You know, what what goes through your mind when you hear that? What's your what's your take on that? Well, I. I already understand that I'm in a country that is not that you know that is not mine and I come from a culture that is not mine that that is uh that I'm here in France and that there's a culture that is not mine so there's a, a a cultural gulf so I have to understand that there's a big cultural gulf it's also very humbling it's both humbling and it's and it's vindicating when people say that stuff to me because of the stuff that you go through as a jazz musician, just trying to get gigs, trying to get your project out there, trying to get noticed. And someone says, well, nobody knows you, you know, or, you know, your ideas are kind of dismissed or, um, you know, you're part of a conversation where people are always talking about what's wrong with jazz and, you know, why are people not uh, engaged? And then the music industry as a whole is, um, is just not the music industry it was, say, not even 10 years ago, but it certainly was not as it was back in the day. So um, so when I'm having these engagements with people, it is, uh, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing feeling. And to know that wow. people are learning through me in the most unlikely place, a drafty subway corridor three blocks from the Eiffel Tower. Wow. So if we if if and when folks are able to visit, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening um, in the world today and right now. Um, but I'm just wondering, what is the stop? So folks who are in Paris can drop by and see you sometime. Uh, oh, what what is the stop Madeline, in Paris on the metro? If, yeah, if you're in Paris, you know Madeline, you know Lamarck Piquet Grenelle, which is in the 15th. Um, you know Gambetta, which is in the 20th arrondissement. You know, Belleville, you know, um, Place d'Italie. Um, yeah, there's, there's uh, about four or five stations um, that I'm known to be in. But this all started, Carrie, because I was on my way to a gig not long after I got here. Um, and I lost my bank card. I got oh, lost my. my yes. I got lost trying to get to my gig, and um, by my phone, it said, I'm, you know, I'm just 20 minutes away, so I went to the ATM to get, like, say, 20 euros out, and this is, shame on me for leaving the house with no money, okay? <laughs> that, I should have bought I hear that, you. that, but I figured, okay, I'll take the subway, and, you know, I'll follow the directions, I get there, do my gig, get my, get my money, great. I went to the ATM to get 20 euros out. <laughs> Uh, to get a, a taxi, and the machine ate my card. Mm. So I'm in the that middle so of Lord only knows that's, where. Yeah. 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 Wow. 
And, and so those days, I'm like, the cards oh almost would be eaten up by the machine for any reason. It could they just take yeah. your card right into the machine. <laughs> right. So, but this is like eight. This is about seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. And so I'm like, mm. you know what? I just got to get to my gig. So I managed to get there. And uh, no one was at the school that I was supposed to sing at. My friend who hired me to sing there was, I could not get him on the phone. Um, I saw two janitors who did not speak any English. They let me uh, charge my phone. Um, But I managed to get back home. But um, I did not have any groceries. And barn calling home, um, you know, for to send a wire or send a PayPal or whatever. Um, I just didn't have any access to my money. So the the next thing I knew to do was to sing in the subway station in my apartment. Mm. And immediately, and I took a bowl. I didn't even have a hat. I took a bowl. This was not Jazz the Metro. This was, I got to go to a casino grocery store and buy some groceries. Wow. And I was standing there singing, smile, though your heart is aching for the bowl. And I was singing over. That's the only song I was singing the whole time I was standing there, just over and over and over again, because I was nervous. I was scared to death. I said, I look like an idiot standing here. <laughs> uh. And um, but people were very kind, and it was time to talk. Hey, how's it going? Oh, Trésor Livois. Uh, it's so nice to meet you. Where did you come from? And you know, it was yeah, like you no know, friends in the neighborhood. And I wow. had just gotten there, like maybe a week, two weeks. So then I just continued to sing and talk, sing and talk, sing and talk, and talk and sing. Wow. <laughs> and eventually, you know, Carrie, eventually that became my, my style um, on stage. That is just amazing. That eventually, yeah, that eventually became my style on stage. Um, I spent more time on stage here in Paris than I did in the United States because um, the gigs were intermittent. I was moving furniture. Um, when I was in New York, I was uh, doing housekeeping. Um, I worked at Forever 21. There's a Forever 21 in Soho. I opened that store in 2007. Wow. I remember, yeah, applying for it on Craigslist. They were opening up a new location in Soho. I trained for the job in the stock uh, in the stock room, and so Forever Twenty One in Soho. I think it's still there. I opened that store thirteen or fourteen years ago. <laughs> wow. So those are the kind of jobs that I had in New York City, uh, especially as a mo- uh, moving furniture. That was my thing, and I would move even some of the. Um, you know, some of the other jazz musicians or, uh, you know, some of the other singers, they would come to me and say, Mark, how much is it, you know, because I got to move, and uh, how much is it to get the truck, and, <laughs> and all that. But I'd be doing that in between, you know, singing at Birdland for Jim Caruso's cast party and doing the jam sessions at Fat Cat in the Village and at Small's Jazz Club and, uh, you know, hanging out at Dizzy's. I had a spell in New York where I was homeless, and it was very, very difficult. It was a very difficult time for me. So imagine um, your friends are up in Dizzy's at the jam session or doing the gig or at the, in the Allen Room in Jazz Lincoln Center, and I'm downstairs uh, outside at that fountain in Columbus Circle um, 
trying to figure out should I spend my dollar on the coffee or wait till later in the morning. <laughs> you know, wow. it was it, yeah. yeah. New York was very very difficult. I've got to jump in and just remind folks out there, listen, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the all-new Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. This morning, we have a special guest on with us, and we're live. Uh, We're broadcasting from Brooklyn, New York. You guys know I'm over here in Brooklyn. Well, our guest today is an amazing comedian and jazz musician. His name is Mr. Marvin Parks, and we're so excited. He's literally live from Paris. I think you've got to be the uh, very first guest me. ever. <laughs> Absolutely, Marvin. You have to be the first guest ever that we've had on live from from France. Uh, we've chatted with folks in Australia. We have friends who've been on the show in Australia. We have friends who've been on the show uh, from Ghana. And shouting out to Catherine over in Af- uh, in Australia. And uh, Ebenezer over in Ghana, who's, uh, these are all folks who have been mm-hmm. on our show. And we just have to say we're adding Paris to that amazing list. We've had listeners over wow. there, and, and we're shouting all of you guys out uh, mm-hmm. over in France. Um, but we've never had a guest directly on and live. So you have made history on our broadcast today, <laughs> Mr. Marvin Parks. Wow. Yeah, so I've got to get into that a little bit. Now, you, again, um, you you know, we talked about it at the top of uh, today's broadcast where we talked about you, uh, a native of Baltimore. Uh, You are from America. Let me make sure that that's clear. Uh, You were born Mm -hmm. in America and uh, and raised raised, in Baltimore, Baltimore, right? And and right. you ended up in New York. You were ta- talking a little bit about the challenging times. Now, I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm from mm-hmm. Philadelphia originally, but I can totally relate to how uh, New York can be a tough place under under the it best is. of circumstances. And so mm-hmm. as an artist, it's, you know, it's a very, you know, challenging life uh, as, a, as an artist. And I think that's what you're painting right now. And I was really, yeah. kind of, and you know, listening very attentively uh, at your tale because it resonates so much. And what you're saying is going to definitely connect with all the 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 listeners of the show, the friends that we call them now, of course, uh, who are a part of our mm-hmm. broadcast. So I thank you so much for telling the truth about the challenging times oh, in yeah. New York. So what? Well, you have what, to have was a plan. it just the jazz that led you to Paris? What got you over in Paris? I want to make that clear to folks. Well, I had been in New York for six years, and uh-huh. I was um, moving furniture. I was not singing. And that did I it. I was not <laughs> doing center. Okay. Well, no. Wow. Um, I, well, I had wound up uh, living and working in a hostel, working the, the oh, front okay. desk uh, in a gotcha. hostel. And I was 30 one at the time and I'd met all these people from literally the world and I was so impressed um just by you know their stories and oh I'm I'm 18 years old and I just graduated from high school and I'm from whatever country they're from and I worked for a year and saved up my money and decided to just travel the world and I made so many friends and I was just like I was astonished because mm. that doesn't happen with Americans. You know, if you're 18, right, you right. get a job, go in the military, go to college, you know, not I'm just going to travel the world. That, <laughs> that almost never happens. Exactly, exactly. Right. And then being a jazz musician, 
you know, you meet, especially in New York, you meet literally people from all over the world who are playing this music. Um, You know, so I was already inspired to go because I'd never been out of the country, but I had 40,000 American Airlines miles and um, decided to cash them in. And I got a ticket for $83.30 round trip. And I was like, okay, I'm going to Paris. This is just absolutely incredible. And I had only intended to be here for three years. Uh, Excuse me, for three weeks. I bought the ticket for three weeks. And so three weeks has now been, uh, I'm in my eighth year here. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Now, well, I Marvin, I'm here in, intending to yeah. stay, but, um, and the, good, you know, good, good, good. one thing led to another. And plus, um, there just aren't any African-American um, singers here who are male and who are performing jazz. They're very, very few and far between. Also, um, there aren't any African-Americans here performing stand-up comedy. Which is amazing that you would think one would think that it would uh, you know uh, you would you would think that they're more there doing that, um, but I, I no. understand. I the the English speaking comedy scene here is very very small. I mean, it's really really small. If you're a comedian here, you are there's some uh-huh. who are bilingual. But um, the com- the stand-up comedy scene is not like it is in the United States. Um, mm. It's all it's all French. So all the opportunities for um, comedians are francophones, and mm. a lot of those comedians who are black are French. In fact, um, there are a couple of um, French comedians who are who are black who own comedy clubs. There's uh, Shirley Soignon, who is uh, black and LGBT, and she owns um, a comedy club. So to be a woman, to be a black woman in France, to, to be both an, an artist, she was uh, doing stand-up for 12 years, and then became artistic director of a club, and then own, became an owner, club owner. Um, that is, right there, is something is just uh, phenomenal. And then uh, Fari Lopez, um, has a comedy club. He partnered with somebody. So um, to be black and to be Arab and to be from Africa, you know, and to, to be French and, and be on the stand-up scene, that's one thing. But to be um, black and American and um, the legacy of black American comedians really is not known here. Black Americans are known through music, you know, culturally speaking, or if they're like a an iconic figure, like in civil rights or in sports, um, or in, in film, but to, but like the Red Foxes and uh, Luanda Page and Slappy White and Moms Mabley, they kind of know Moms Mabley a little bit. If you have to really be in comedy, or to know um, Pigmy Markham, you know, people like that, uh, Amos and Andy. Um, even to some extent, Richard Pryor, that is not really known. And also for me to be um, a black singer here, well, they don't really connect me with being um, a comedian because the first thing you hear when you meet me is singing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you hear a voice and, and and comedy is just like out the window. <laughs> 
I've I've had to wow. tell people not to introduce me as a singer. Oh, we have Marvin Parsons. He's a great singer, and now he's going to come up and. Well, when you introduce us, introduce me as a singer, well, they looking for singing. They're not looking for no. <laughs> That's you know, true. The jokes are like, <laughs> right. So I have to tell them up front. Don't mention that I'm a singer because when they say, "Oh, well, he's a singer," well, they don't they don't care about the jokes. They see a large black man from the United States of America getting in front of a mic. They want Luther Vandross. They do not want Kevin Hart. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know, it's oh, funny that you thing. say that, Marvin Parks. Now, you want to you want them to to think comedian who sings, well, but not necessarily was... a singer who does comedy. Well, the the premise of the show, Marvin Parks American Jazz Singer, was that I would kind of sing these show numbers and these kind of very familiar songs while uh-huh. also telling my story as an telling, expat and exactly. telling jokes and, you know, that sort of thing, like, a, like an American-style cabaret. And so having passed through New York and seeing people like Jim Caruso going to the duplex on Friday night, they had a thing called uh, Mostly Sondheim. Mm-hmm. And they had um, a guy named Brian Nash, and they had uh, Emily McNamara and Marty Thomas, and they had another guy named Toby Blackwell, who would literally be hosting this open mic, but they were funny. They were funny. Mm. So there's always sing for me, it's always singing and laughing and, and humor. Which and is really kind of getting wonderful. Which, yeah. And- it, and so just, when you're wow. in New York and you're around Broadway types and com- and, uh, and cabaret types, the, the, there's always the humor that's tied to the singer. If you go to Birdland on Monday night and see Jim Caruso and Billy Stritch, or if you see their, their act Elman, then you, that's, what, that's what it is. And so but is, is there a perception is, always that – and I'm going to tell you guys. I've never told this story on, on the Hair Radio Morning Show, but I think it's appropriate because you remind me so much of this when you were just talking that, you know, once uh-huh. they know that you do comedy and sing, they want to hear the singing. They want to hear the singing, oh, yeah. uh, which, yeah. is, which is interesting I and unique. Say, I can't even say that I'm a comedian. Like I've, I've, sent, like, I've sent you some material before this interview. I've sent that to journalists who, when I read the copy back, they omitted the word comedy from what I told them. Wow. So it's, so it's not even the ex- expectation of, you know, singing versus comedy. It's as if I never said that I was a comedian. It's wow. Like I, I, that, I just find it fascinating, Marvin Parks. <laughs> I really do. I do. And I'll yeah. tell you, I, I remember going uh, into a community that they were very, if they didn't have any black people, I went down to Niagara Falls many, many years. I'm sorry, not Niagara Falls. Um, uh, down in Pennsylvania, the Poconos. There were no, not very mm-hmm. many blacks, if, if any, at the time. And I got up to perform uh, karaoke. You know, we were just singing mm-hmm. to some recorded track or whatever. And oh. I was, of course, I cannot sing. <laughs> I'm no Marvin Parks, okay? Oh, get out of here. I cannot sing. I can't sing a lick, but I got up. I, but uh-huh. it was so funny because in the audience there were, you know, it was totally Caucasians in the audience, so they just uh-huh. assumed <laughs> that right. I was about to like 
you would have thought Whitney Houston or somebody had gotten up in front, you know. They were so giving me applause and, like, jumping out their seats as I walked to the stage. And when I opened up my mouth, <laughs> I could have cleared the room. I mean, but it was their expectation just because right. I guess we're so connected and known for having such right. great voices, and, and I just think that, right. you know, so they want oh, to hear us singing. <laughs> yeah, we can, and and we have not remember? disappointed. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, of course, so you know, Marvin so Parks, thank you. <laughs> jazz, gospel, you know, jazz, sure. gospel, blues, you know, um, opera. We got opera singers. We got people at the Metropolitan Opera. We got people at the Grand Ole Opry, you know, Charlie Pride just passed away. Yeah, just um, yeah, the, yeah. And we awesome. were talking about um yeah. Little Richard and, and Chuck Berry. Right. You know, so right. we've contributed so much to music. And um you now, know have you ever sang is, any other styles besides jazz? have you ever or did well, you my primary, I know you do a lot of standards well, here, and Well here, well here's the thing. My prime the primary focus of my work is the Great American Songbook. Yes. Love specifically lovely. And traditional and traditional pop, and so traditional pop is the Tony Bennett's and the Frank Sinatra's mm-hmm. and the Diana Krolls and the Michael Bublé's, Mel Torme, and the Natalie Coles, wow. Natalie Cole and and Barbara Streisand, and I was influenced by Natalie Cole to do that. Um, Amazing. At like 15 years old, I was watching a documentary on her father's life and career. And at the time, uh, Unforgettable was the biggest record on the planet. It mm. was the biggest thing in the 1990s. Rightfully like so, by the way. Out. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. And so I had already been a Natalie Cole fan. So I was like 12 years old, and my mom brought home her album Dangerous, and uh, mm-hmm. my mother would close her door and blast I don't know why she closed yeah, the door. She yeah. might have left it open. But she was like, ooh, 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 dangerous. Yeah. And I was, I loved that record. I was, that I would go in my mother's room, and I was forbidden to go in my mother's room for anything, unless she called me in there, or, I, or unless it was something specific. And I would go in there and sneak and take her Natalie Cole um, cassette <laughs> and yeah, play it in my room. Yeah. Until she came home from work, and I would run back in there and put it back like I ain't touched nothing. That's but right. And Cole. and Natalie, we got to remind folks, Natalie Cole, long before there was Whitney Houston and all these other uh, folks, Natalie Cole was really uh, putting it down. Uh, you know, she was she literally in the Franklin vein of Aretha Franklin. She beat her. Oh, oh, here's a tidbit, though. This will be was originally written for Aretha Franklin. I heard that. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Just amazing. Just amazing. But, you know, I love later. That became Natalie's. That's right. But they later, you know, Natalie would often praise Aretha and they, you know, all that competitive stuff early on likely kind of dissipated. And and yeah. uh, Natalie would definitely, but uh, she was a great ring, you know, uh, uh, artist, and just carried on her father's legacy. So I'm yeah. thrilled, and this influenced you, Marvin Parks. Yeah. Well, I thought that okay, Natalie Cole, um, this uh, Unforgettable was the big record, 
And That's Natalie right. Cole, and people don't really talk about this, but Natalie Cole is really the one that ushered in that whole market of American songbook classics. So, you know, you have these pop mm-hmm. artists or these R&B artists who are sort of like in the kind of like late in their careers, and they come out with these um, Gershwin albums or these exactly. American exactly. Standard well, albums. That's right. She was yeah. the first so to really like, do that. Mm-hmm. She was the first well, Linda, with such Linda great Ron success. Had. Right. Oh, so yeah. Linda that's had like some Nelson Riddle albums. If you don't know who Nelson right, Riddle is, right. Nelson Riddle yeah. was a, an arranger in the vein of, say, like a, a Quincy Jones, you know, mm-hmm. who, was, who, just, who was like a producer and an arranger for like Nat King Cole and for all of those great singers. And so Linda Ronstadt did like maybe two or three albums with him right, and started right. kind of bringing those, those kind of albums back. And then Carly Simon did one, but Natalie Cole really kind of, you know, no pun intended, set the standard for um, traditional pop. And she became the very first artist to win the Grammy Award for Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album. Well, I want to say this, and I, I was around at the time, so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and fess up on that. So I remember all of that, and I remember yeah. at the time, Natalie, not only did she do all that wonderful good stuff, and she did, she took a, a chance because you've got to remember, Natalie Cole was an art known for R&B music, soul music, right. uh, if you will, soul right. R&B was her her area. She really, you know, and she was identified with that. So when she was releasing these albums, these wonderful uh, albums of standards, and not just that, but, you know, Mm -hmm. she, she, her father, because of his legacy, she really kind of didn't, my, my recollection is that she didn't want to uh, necessarily duplicate you know her father's genre. They were he was in his well, when genre. Well, started, she, st- the story right. is, is that when she first started, she did because this is Natalie Cole. This is the daughter of Nat King Cole. So people wanted her to say, "Oh, well, she's definitely going to come." Right. Out well, we're, <laughs> right from the from the author, and she rejected that. She said, "I'm not doing that." She said, "I got to exactly. myself. I'm doing." And so she got Chuck Jackson, who was uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson's brother, and Marvin uh-huh. Nancy, who was her husband at the time. Um, great gospel, great one of the under, um, undersung. I won't say unsung, but he's undersung gospel greats. Marvin Yancey, uh, and his and the Yancey family and choir were mm. deep. We know Clark sisters. We know Albertine right, Clark right, right, and Shirley, and Shirley C. But Yancey family definitely made their uh, their imprint in the gospel world. So you've got uh, Marvin Yancey and uh, Chuck Jackson. And she took them on as producers and songwriters and made her R&B. And she would throw in some standards here and there. And she would, you know, she'd make appearances and she would, you know, do some jazz and, and, and even kind of write some jazzy things. But her main thing was, I want to establish myself apart from my father. So by the time that she did on She loved writing. She, she loved went, her dad. Don't get anybody. We, we want to be oh, clear. Absolutely. She absolutely, absolutely revered her, her dad. So, you know, well, he was he capital, Mr. Start. Capital Records. Yeah. He gave her a start when she was a little kid. So she was already started singing under him when she was a little exactly. girl. But as a grown woman, she just wanted to establish herself as an artist. Of course. So she approached absolutely. her label. 
she approached a label to do Unforgettable, and they said, oh, we're not doing no jazz records. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that. That's right. So at That's first, right. She, she, but when it was time for her to do it, they didn't want to do it. They thought that it well, was Well, Marvin, did you thing. tell everybody about that she literally was the first to take, like, uh, to combine her voice with that of her dad's? Uh, and she was reluctant yeah. to do that, and it became such a huge, big success that others started doing it. <laughs> oh <laughs> she she was it such an sickening. innovator. Yeah, but it got sickening. There was one with Elvis. Somebody did it with Elvis. Tremaine Hawkins. I love Tremaine Hawkins. Oh, Hawkins a few of them. Tremaine they, Hawkins yeah. did it they, with, with yeah. Mahalia Jackson. Um, yeah. Celine Dion did it yeah. with, uh, with Frank Sinatra. It was just they, like, uh, oh, quite a few God. of them. And yeah, they need to send the checks to Natalie. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the patent. You know, yeah. But, um, but it became a success. So when that came out, I said, well, it's not necessarily that I want to be a, a famous singer at this. It's that I love singing these songs. And at the time, I was, like I said, 15 years old, I was just really just kind of coming into my own and then learning that this is something that I could do. Well, well, I just want to tell everybody, Marvin, we've got to get you back here because uh, we we've got to continue this. So we haven't even we haven't even lifted the, (laughs) you know, opened up the can yet. literally. So we've got to get you back here for another part of your amazing story. I just want to remind everybody that uh, this broadcast, of course, the Hair Radio Morning Show, it's our broadcast number 518. And uh, we're going to share that out across our social media, but we're also going to have it available wherever you get your podcast. You should find us. Search Carrie Hines. It'll pop right up. Uh, and and uh, we're on Spotify and all these other platforms and all of that out there. So we're we're going to put this out there so folks will be able to find you, or you could just you'll be able to Google it. So you'll be able to Google Marvin Parks and Carrie Hines and all that wonderful good stuff will pop up. But I want to get your your Instagram account uh, information out there. How folks can always connect with you. Of course, you can contact us at Hair Radio. But how else might they find you on social media, Marvin Parks? Okay. Well, Jazz de Metro is also a brand that I'm developing. And spell so these things Jazz for Metro. folks. Yeah. So it's Jazz, capital J A Z Z, lowercase D U, capital M E with that little kind of accent mark over it, T R O, Jazz Du Metro Media on Instagram and Facebook. And I also um, am working on another brand called TINS. It is The Internet Never Sleeps. And that came out of a conversation, um, you know, we were just kind of looking at MIMS, me and a friend of mine, and I said, oh, my God, the Internet never, the web never goes to sleep. And that right. became a brand. And so I printed um, je- uh, t- uh, Internet Never Sleeps T-shirts on T-shirts. And then there's Pup Du Metro, where I photographed with the commuter's dog. So when they stop and listen to to, uh, to listen to me at, in the metro, and they just happen to have a puppy or they have a dog, and I love dogs. So I created a separate Instagram account with all dog-related things and photographs of me with um, with commuter's dogs in the Paris subway. And um, that is a really, really just kind of a cool thing that uh, that I'm developing. But if you want to get the shirt, go to Teespring. If you want to get my records, 
Um, the very thought of you is the EP. And then there's my self-titled debut album that's available. And I don't have much content of my comedy, but you can watch. Um, there's a clip pinned to my artist account um, on Facebook. And then there's the ugly song, You're a Mess, which is a comedy song that I wrote <laughs> and recorded. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, exactly. and you can always come to us at the Hair Radio Morning Show, and we'll put you in yeah, touch you with all the, the amazing Marvin Parks. Mr. Comedian, <laughs> Mr. Jazz Musician, uh, over in Paris, France, I might add, an amazing <laughs> new friend to all of us at our broadcast. So we are just, we're looking forward to your next appearance right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show. We're just so excited Thank to have you. Thank you so much, Carrie. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, you, you just, uh, you did an outstanding job, and we're just so thrilled. Hey, last uh, thoughts today. I wanted to just check in with you on this. Uh, Martin Luther King, uh, we're about to begin celebrating the amazing journey of Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, story. Mm-hmm. And I just want to get any kind of uh, comment today. Uh, it, it, what kind of impression did Dr. Martin Luther King's life uh, leave an impression or make an impression with Marvin Parks? Absolutely. Um He saw what needed to be done, and it was, I can imagine, a a seemingly um, insurmountable task. And he rolled up his sleeves, he did the work, um, and we're all beneficiaries of it. And, um, you know, considering what we're going through now, I mean, you saw the insurrection at, at, uh, at the U.S. Capitol, just days before we were about to celebrate his birthday, and he made, you know, the, the march on Washington and, and made this iconic speech on those very steps. So it's, um, so that kind of weighs heavy on my mind um, right now as we're about to approach his, um, his birthday celebration. Awesome. I want to thank the amazing Marvin Parks. Right oh, here <laughs> on the Hair Radio Morning Show. You've been with us live this morning all the way from Paris, France. It's just been a great, great job you did co-hosting. 